Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Heads and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, heads and shoulders. Actually, I think that there may be a different tune to heads and shoulders, knees and toes in the States. I think somebody told me once they use the same tune as London Bridge is falling down, which is curious because that's not the tune for heads and shoulders, knees and toes that we use. Why am I starting the podcast singing that nonsensical piece of children's stuff? Because I suppose I feel duty bound to give you a warning. We're going to be talking today about sex education and young blind people. And as a result of that, we are going to be talking about parts of the male and female anatomy other than heads and shoulders, knees and toes. And if it makes you uncomfortable to hear the names of human sexual organs spoken out loud, then please give this podcast a miss. Thank you. For those of you who are still here, welcome to The Blind Side. Good to be back with you. We have had another very busy week of email, and I do read them all, even if I can't respond to them all or read them all out loud on the podcast. If you want to be in touch, and thank you for all of the words of encouragement that keep coming in. It does mean a lot because it takes a while to put these podcasts together. You can drop me an email at theblindside at mosin.org. That's the blind side at mosin.org. Now, we are going to be talking about a very interesting issue of accessibility today. You may think it curious, but accessibility to me is about information of all kinds. And I've always thought that if you break it down, if you talk about what is it that blindness imposes on us, I would say that it imposes barriers to access to all kinds of information. So that access to information could be street signage as we walk down the street. It could be printed information, and it's also visual information. So soon, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Galen Kapperman. Many of you may know Dr. Kapperman as somebody who has done a lot of work encouraging blind people to become involved in the maths and sciences, and he's world-renowned in that area. He's also a staunch advocate and has been for decades when discussing these things were much more difficult, of ensuring that blind young people get appropriate access to sex education so that they are safe and informed. It's a topic that not many people seem to want to talk about. And as you know, if you're a regular listener to The Blind Side, we don't shy away from talking about the difficult subjects. And so we're going to be talking about this today. I'm not clear as to the extent to which this is a uniquely American problem. I did reach out to some teachers here in New Zealand, where I'm from, and it doesn't seem to be as big a deal. Here in New Zealand, they do have a range of models that they give young people access to. So it could be a uniquely American thing, or perhaps in other countries there are similar problems to overcome, and it would be interesting to hear any comments on this subject, although I certainly appreciate that it may be difficult to talk about. We do a talk show on Mushroom FM, the internet radio station that uh, I'm a part of. And if you like this podcast, you may well like the talk show. We had a really fun one last week, actually. We've covered a few heavy subjects of late. And so we decided to talk about those embarrassing blind moments. (laughs) And we got some great humorous stories about things that have uh, happened as a result of blindness that you have to laugh at yourself about. So that was great. We're on to a slightly heavier topic this week. And the topic this week is the medical profession 
and blind people. It's something that has come up on this podcast before. You're very vulnerable when you're sick, aren't you? And you're admitted to hospital, you're worried, and you're not well if you're there. And sometimes the experiences that we have with the medical profession are not optimal. And we'll be talking about that and wanting to hear from people about the experiences that they've had, both good and bad. But it does seem that there may be a worldwide issue with the medical profession because they are medical professionals and and see blindness perhaps as as a medical defect, respecting our dignity and our rights in some situations. So if you would like to contribute to that discussion, remember that a cuppa at the Mosins, the live call and talk show on Mushroom FM, is on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. Now that does equate to something crazy like 2 a.m. UK time. And we are getting quite a bit of feedback from UK listeners who were saying we would love to call into this thing and listen to it live if it were on at a better time. If that is you, if you would make a commitment to listening to the show every week if it was on at a better time for you, then we would consider moving it. Of course, the trouble is once you start moving it, you inconvenience somebody else who is listening now. But we would look at it if we got enough interest from our friends in Europe and the UK about listening live. So if that's you, you can drop me an email to theblindside at mosin.org and let me know that you would like to hear the show live. And more importantly, that you would call in with relevant contributions if you had something to say that was pertinent to the topic. So the blind side at Mosin.org is how you get in touch. Looking forward to hearing your experiences about the medical profession. Feel the need to sound off? Share your thoughts about this week's show by email. Send an audio file or write it down and email the blind side at Mosin.org. We continue to receive a lot of email from people expressing their views on the Sue Martin interview, and Don Horn's email is pretty typical of what we received in the last week. He says, I have just heard the podcast on which you interviewed Sue Martin and Penny Reader. What happened to Ms. Martin is absolutely disgraceful. Not only should she be compensated for her expenses, but American Airlines should be mandated to review all internal policies to be sure that they are in compliance with current U.S. regulations and provide training to all of its employees so that these regulations can be properly enforced. That the CRO, whose responsibility it is to serve as a passenger advocate, didn't identify himself as such and apparently didn't attempt to address the situation is shameful indeed. I do take issue with one of your statements, however. It is not necessarily true that the apology by American Airlines is an admission of guilt. It is possible to be sorry that someone is experiencing tremendous frustration while at the same time believing that the actions being taken are appropriate. While there may be some truth to the idea that airlines simply don't want to serve us, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are other possibilities. No matter what caused the problems, however, this situation is a serious one which must be addressed in some very specific ways so that it doesn't occur again. American Airlines should be profoundly embarrassed that any passenger experienced such demeaning treatment. I commend Ms. Martin for making all of us aware of what happened to her so that we as a community can support her and work to ensure that such treatment does not continue. Thanks very much for that, Don. Yeah, I suppose you're right. There are different ways of apologising, aren't there? 
some people say, I'm sorry that you are offended, which actually doesn't apologize for the action you took. It just apologizes for the fact that, that it offended the person. So I completely take the point and thank you for making it. Here's an email from Debbie Armstrong. In response to your two segments about troubles with airlines, I want to share my experiences with Amtrak in hopes it will help others. I've ridden Amtrak for over 25 years, both with a cane and a dog, with and without my sighted husband and on long-distance cross-country and short-haul trips. I have never had a bad experience with the staff. They are always helpful, eager to listen to and accommodate my needs and never force themselves on me. But it's been a different story with what I'll call the Amtrak infrastructure. Amtrak has cut back in dozens of ways that adversely affect passengers, especially those of us who are blind. In the old days, trains often stopped at stations that were nothing more than a platform surrounded by woods and fields. And because many passengers needed their cigarette, they were encouraged to step off the train for up to a half hour to stretch their legs. It was trivial to relieve a dog in these situations. Smoking stops occurred every two or three hours, so riding across the nation was a pleasure. But the tracks are owned by the two big freight companies, not by Amtrak, so freight trains have the right of way. As freight shipping increased, Amtrak passengers experienced serious delays. Ore shipments around the Great Lakes area can still delay an Amtrak passenger train by as much as 12 hours. An attempt to boost their on-time performance and because health concerns had reduced tobacco use, Amtrak began cutting out the smoking stops. Nowadays, a train might make a long stop every six to eight hours, and with delays, the time between stops can grow even longer. In addition to less frequent stops, concerns about security after 9-11 caused most stations to surround their platforms with tall concrete fencing. In Denver, for example, my sighted husband actually running with my dog needs 10 minutes to exit the train, charge down to the end of the platform to get around the fence so he can find a place for the dog to relieve away from passenger foot traffic. For most stations, it takes about five minutes for a sighted person walking briskly to get through the station and out onto the street. A blind person, unsure of where exactly to go, doesn't have a chance to get that dog relieved before the all-aboard call. But even if you don't travel with a dog, your travels aren't over. Amtrak has also cut back on the trains, so that many stations are now serviced by buses. On Amtrak's schedule, the only indication that one will be on a bus rather than a train is a change of colour in the font. Even sighted people miss what I believe to be a deliberate obfuscation, discovering only when they are down route that at a major station they will need to transfer to an Amtrak bus to complete a trip. A blind traveller must locate that bus, which often, due to security concerns, is parked across the street or a block away from the station. The other issue is that the bus service is contracted out, so Amtrak customer service can't help if your bus fails to show up or if you wait for the bus in the wrong place or if you miss that bus. 
If you are a confident traveller and not too worried about being on time, it can still be a great adventure crossing the nation with Amtrak. You can get a deluxe bedroom or smaller roomette all to yourself or ride and coach with friendly people. Dining services are varied and superb. Passengers will be delighted to describe the breathtaking scenery and low vision folks. The enormous windows will give you a closer view of our country's natural wonders than you can ever get from a highway. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on the blind side. Sex is something many people find it difficult to talk about, even though it's the most natural thing in the world. And without it, well, none of us would be here. If you can't see, how can you learn and explore sexuality appropriately and safely? Professor Galen Kapperman of Northern Illinois University is blind and a world-renowned figure in blindness education. And I first met him when I was working with Humanware a long time ago now in charge of the blindness products. And we brainstormed about how to ensure that newer technologies equipped blind people to pursue what we now call the STEM subjects. But his passion extends well beyond mathematics and includes making it easier for blind people to learn foreign languages and the whole matter of sex education and the impact blindness has on it. So, Professor Galen Kapperman, welcome to The Blind Side. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. If I look at the common thread that binds your incredible work history together, it would appear to be a real interest in ensuring blind kids can be all they can be. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, exactly. One of the areas that, uh, in addition to sex education that I've always been interested in, is mathematics and math math education and and foreign languages, as you mentioned. But one of my areas of... uh, of interest has always been sex and sexual sexuality and uh, from a long time ago when I was a youngster and for some reason it has never bothered me at all to talk about uh, sexual matters in public uh, private whatever and uh, I actually am not embarrassed about it I never have been and I've noticed down through the years that um, there has been very little effort made in the area of uh, sex education for blind and visually impaired kids. Uh, one of the major problems, well, there are several major problems. First of all, people don't like to talk about sex in a nutshell. And at least that's the situation here in the United States. And in order to make sex education meaningful for blind kids, you have to get pretty explicit. And uh, because pictures don't do it, and many of the sex education uh, programs uh, in our schools uh, with the health educators, um, the textbooks, uh, they show pictures in the books or on uh, video, in videos or uh, in some fashion or another, it's all graphics that does uh, the blind kids, or those of us who are totally blind, no good whatsoever. In some situations, people try to replace the graphics with raised line drawings of uh, genitalia, let's say, mm-hmm. for example. That is of no value whatsoever. And unfortunately, even many teachers of blind kids don't understand 
that you cannot depict three-dimensional objects on a two-dimensional plane in raised lines. For uh, in sighted people, when they take a, when they see, they observe, they see the raised line drawings of whatever it might be, it makes sense to them because there's not that much difference between a raised line drawing, they can see the raised lines, and uh, graphics, you know, print drawings of whatever they, whatever it might be. And so they just in, infer wrongly that because a blind person can put his fingers, her fingers, on and trace the raised lines of the object that's being portrayed, that that makes sense to us. And it doesn't. Mm. All blind people know that. And um, unfortunately, many, many teachers don't. So the one area that I've been concentrating on is providing uh, the means by which we can make sex, sex education more meaningful for blind kids. And that's using uh, three-dimensional objects, uh, uh, models of erect penises, vaginas, flaccid penises, uh, three-dimensional models of the internal reproductive organs, and uh, sighted teachers are very resistant in using 3D models. And it's, in my estimation, extremely unfortunate. So it's been my mission. I'm kind of uh, a missionary for um, improving, increasing the quality of sex education for one and particular kids here in the U.S. Well, wherever, you know, I've been. Um, hopefully, people outside the country have read some of my uh, writings on the topic, too. And I've made quite a few presentations. And uh, I started on this probably 25 years ago during the AIDS um, epidemic here in the U.S. And I had a grant from our CDC, uh, that is our big uh, government agency fighting diseases. So the organization, the government, gave grants out to different people for training in AIDS education uh, and safer sex education for various populations. They finally got around to disabled individuals and they had three groups, deaf and hard of hearing, blind and visually impaired, and in that time, they call it middle retarded. That's no longer a uh, uh, kosher term. Intellectually disabled would be the proper term now. At any rate, I was able to capture the uh, grant for uh, providing educational materials and, and training uh, training for uh, blind and visually impaired individuals in the area of safer sex and age education, age prevention. And I remember... Uh, I and I had a female colleague. I always, always have uh, females as my uh, uh, co-authors, co-presenters, co-workers, and uh, it takes a lot of nerve on their part frequently to present with me, but they, they do it. It's a special kind of woman that does that. Anyway, her name was Judy Masoka, and uh, we went around the country. Uh, we published a book, and we went around the country. Uh, doing trainings, and uh, and I remember I would have people confront me afterwards uh, in, in the elevator at a conference or whatever. How can you say those things in public, you know, and, and all. And now, that was 25, 30 years ago, and now I don't get any flack 
whatsoever from talking about sex in public. So I guess we're making some improvement. Mm. Uh, your your comment about the 3D models, I'd like to explore that in a wider context as well mm-hmm. because you obviously spend a lot of time working with people on mathematics as well. And when I was at school and there were a lot of volunteers actually, volunteers who spent a very long time on these elaborate two-dimensional tactual drawings of things and I always thought there was something wrong with me because, you know, some other blind people could pick these things up and, and, and even, for example, they'd pick it up and they'd say, this is a picture of an elephant. And I'm thinking, how the heck do you know that? Because to me, the two-dimensional stuff is just incomprehensible. I can't get any kind of meaningful data from it. And I don't know whether there are certain types of congenital blindness conditions that lend themselves more or less to interpreting data from these sorts of things. But I wonder in a wider context, and of course we will get back to sex, but I I just wonder whether you have a view on the relevance of these sorts of drawings in a wider context, for example, in the maths and sciences. I do. Those individuals uh, who could recognize that drawing of an elephant probably were low vision, probably had some vision and were seeing the... uh, uh, the raised lines themselves because any totally blind person, if you're handed a raised line drawing of a three-dimensional object which is on a two-dimensional plane and you're not told what it is and it's of some complexity, there's nobody, nobody, no blind person can figure this out. It's incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. I, in, in my teaching of uh, here at Northern Illinois University training teachers of blind kids. Um, and most of the uh, students, most of my students are fully sighted individuals. Perhaps only about 10% are blind or severely visually impaired. So, in order to drive that point home that three dimensional objects cannot be portrayed accurately in raised line drawings on a two dimensional plane, I would do a little experiment in class. So I might have 15 to 20 sighted students of mine in class. And I would have my secretary, who is, uh, is uh, a reasonably accomplished artist. And so for class, I would have her use some of our raised line drawing equipment and draw a reasonably complex, but not outlandishly complex, uh, drawing of something. And I would tell her, don't tell me what it is. And then uh, at the beginning of class, I would tell the students that uh, we want to do this little experiment. So she would come into class and walk around the room showing all the sighted people this raised line drawing of whatever she had chosen to do. And then she would bring it to me. They And all the students were, were uh, told not to say anything about it. They just looked at it. And everyone, of course, could recognize it then I would struggle, and I didn't fake it. I would just struggle, 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 looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, and make guesses and try hard to determine what it represented, and I never did. I never was. And uh, then she would uh, tell me what it was. And uh, and that I tried to uh, bring home to them that is a totally inappropriate thing to do in their educating blankets is to try to represent three-dimensional objects on a two-dimensional plane 
in raised line drawing form. So why does it go on then? Why? Because, because because there are so many teachers that do this, and I've had a number of senior positions in New Zealand in the blindness community, and while in some of them, I've made this very point that we seem to be doing it for the pleasure of the people who create them and not for the right. education of the students who have to learn them. I think they are absolutely useless. That's correct. Uh, uh, Jonathan, that's absolutely right. I believe uh, it's uh, one of the major problems is that the sighted people who teach blankets actually cannot put themselves in the place of being totally blind. That is, they nobody has really driven the point home to them that all their efforts are for naught. Mm. It uh, makes waste of time. Bit, just a total waste of time. Yeah. Now you can you can to, you can absolutely rec, uh, represent two dimensional figures like um, triangles, circles, squares, uh, or maps, for example, in three dimensional. I mean, in a raised line drawing on a two dimensional plane, mm. that's uh, totally appropriate in my estimation. Yeah. If it's not too complex, uh, and I I agree with you. I think it could be that they the People who produce these are so enamored of their work that they've done, and they feel so satisfied that they've done something worthwhile for the blind, as it were. They have good intentions, and they totally just do not understand it's of no value whatsoever. Plus, it's much easier to produce raised line drawings than, or at least in the past, it was much easier to produce raised line drawings than to manufacture three-dimensional objects. Now, with 3D printing, that's going to um, help a lot, in my estimation, to solve this problem of the lack of 3D um, objects, 3D models that the blind kids can uh, explore with their hands. And, and we are using, right now, we're working with an organization in San Francisco, and we are exploring the possibility of producing 3D models of the genitalia. Uh, we have uh, uh, a, a very nice 3D model of an erect penis. It is extremely accurate. Well, I insisted that it be extremely accurate. We have a 3D model of a flaccid penis, and we have a 3D model of a vagina with all the details. So for example, the vagina has uh, labia minora, labia majora, and clitoris, and, uh, and the uh, penises have, down to the last detail, the little notch at the end of a man's penis is called a frenulum, F-R-E-N-U-L-U-M. So we have that there where, where, where the uh, uh, opening to the urethra is and so um, it's pretty accurate we're going to be testing that those out with uh, blankets you mentioned some of the reactions that you'd received over the years to doing this work and espousing this view that blind people need very specific education in these subjects it just seems to me that america is a really interesting 
country of contrast, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a country where you can switch on Howard Stern in the morning. And believe me, it takes a lot to make me blush. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Howard Stern's yeah. even beyond my comfort zone and that's saying something. Uh, and yet you've got this incredible puritanical streak. It's quite fascinating. Yes, it is. It, it's, it's incredible. Uh, we, we are a country of extremes. No question in my mind about that. And there are, we have many schools, many, many, many school districts in the United States where sex education is abstinence only. All that means is there is no, in the nutshell, there is no sex education. And when we we call it abstinence only is don't do it. That's what a mouse do. Be abstinent until you are married. That is the word that the kids get. And of course, that does no value whatsoever. And in some situations in those school districts, they will try to convince the kids that condoms are of no value. And there's research to show that in the abstinence-only school districts, there is a lot more teenage pregnancy, and the, uh, the effects are absolutely opposite to what the... Uh, what the authorities want them to be. That is, the, uh, the kids have more unsafe sex than, I, and I, there are other research studies where the kids will say they're 14 years old or so, or 12 or whatever, and they get some kind of a little ring to wear, a silver ring that, that, that where they pledge to be uh, abstinent only not to have sex until they're married. And it's, happens very very often that three or four or five years later they've totally forgotten about their uh, pledge <laughs> and uh, and they have sex just like everybody else and uh, so in our my estimation blind kids um, should have as high quality sex education as the sighted kids are getting um, in the uh, more let's say, more sophisticated school programs. Now, here is another point that I am um, fighting against. We'll say, we blind people are the only ones who don't have the advantage, I'll call it the advantage, of seeing all types of sexually oriented information in the culture. Uh, Television, movies, magazines, everywhere. Here in the United States, at least, and I'm sure that in many, many, many other countries, at least in the Western world, their uh, sexuality is displayed widely in one fashion or another. And we blind people or blind kids were left to our own devices. If nobody provides formal sex education for us, we cannot learn, or it's very difficult to learn about the uh, sexual matters, incidentally, uh, just by living in the culture. Hmm. And many of the blind kids in this country, at least, are isolated. The totally blind kids are. Don't have friends uh, among the sighted uh, kids. And as a consequence, there isn't the opportunity to uh, learn from their older brothers and sisters or older friends or whatever, passing information on. So... Uh, my argument is that blind kids should not be kept 
ignorant about one of the most important things that we homo sapiens do, and that is have sex. It is basic as, as your intro, as you made, you made that point during your introduction, introductory remarks. It's as basic as eating and drinking. Mm. And, uh, and I view it as an exceptionally important uh, part of our lives. Have you explored the consequences of not appropriately in skilling blind people in these topics? And where I'm going with this is that, uh, particularly in the past, a lot of blind people went to schools for the blind. So they were congregating in large number in, in the one place. And, right. I, and I know that there is a bit of sexual abuse inappropriate sexual conduct that goes on in any boarding school. And I'm certainly not condoning by any stretch of the imagination inappropriate sexual conduct. But it seems to me that if blind kids are grouped together and they're not being shown these things in a safe and appropriate way, then they will experiment and boundaries will inevitably be overstepped and very difficult situations will be created. That's correct. Um, and we have stories that uh, I don't know if they're apocryphal or not, but um, for example, let's, let me give you one example. Blind girl in our area here in Illinois in a neighboring town known to teachers of blind kids got pregnant. She was about 16 years old. And she couldn't understand how she got pregnant because she never swallowed. It's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. She did not know that whatever, a male's penis, hard penis, erect penis, in penetrating her vagina and his ejecting semen into her vagina could result in pregnancy. And she was doing um, oral sex. We call it here in the US blowjob. And, and that's one another point that I make in my uh, sex education uh, courses and sex education training is that we use the slang terms too. It's always been a uh, I learned that when I was doing sex education and AIDS education, that you shouldn't just limit yourself to the kind of sanitized um, uh, dictionary uh, vocabulary, medical vocabulary, but that to really get down to brass tacks and use the slang terms that everybody understands to make sure that everybody knows what you're talking about. So I'm always using those kinds of terms too. So back to that poor girl. Um, if in fact that is the case, she obviously thought giving blowjobs and not swallowing the semen would protect her from becoming pregnant. That's very unfortunate in my estimation. Another point that um, without uh, we know of blind kids who think it's safe to have sex as long as he pulls it out before he comes. And uh, it's a really dangerous, dangerous way. 
communicate because I can guarantee you if she does it enough times that way, they do it enough, she will become pregnant. There's no question in my mind about that. They're, the blankets have um, a lot of misconceptions. For example, let me give you an example of how uh, parents are trying to, here again, this is in the United States of America, and I'm not saying that this is the case all across the planet. But here in the U.S., I had I attempted to do a survey of blind teenagers. I had about 25 of them on a list, and um, and in order to do that kind of research at a university, you have to get all kinds of approvals. It's called the institutional. You have to go before the institutional review board to make sure that all of us professors at universities don't entice people to participate in research as research subjects where they will be harmed and because of the misdeeds of professors in the past. At any rate, so I was approved from the, um, from, by the IRB members, and it was just a simple survey. I'm going to have my female graduate assistants question the girls. I had, uh, um, oh gosh, probably, I can't remember, 50 different questions that they would talk to the girls in the uh, program and then in the sample. And then I had young male um, graduate assistants, research assistants who were going to interview the boys. But of course I have to, they were all the kids were gonna be under 18 years of age. So here in the US, if you're under 18, you're not considered to be an adult. And, uh, and researchers like I will have to make, um, get parent permission, which I'm, fine with it. And so I sent descriptions uh, and approval forms to all of the parents. I didn't know this is about 25. I got one back and written across it in great big letters was N-O exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And the other 24 sets of parents didn't even bother. So in my estimation, I believe these parents are doing their children uh, a great disservice because they are trying to keep these kids ignorant, trying to infantilize the kids so that they don't know about sex. But but can you I, deduce that or might it be that the parents are handling sex education in their own way? No, no, they, they don't. It, our, our experience personal experience, we've had anecdotal information. No, they don't. They, they, their parents here in the U.S. have a very difficult time um, talking about sex with their kids generally. Not all parents, by a long shot, but generally. They prefer leaving it to the schools. And I would say that those parents, uh, especially blind uh, parents of blind kids, don't know how to talk to their kids about sex. And, and, and it's been our experience. For example, in some situations where the where graduates of my program have been, uh, who are teachers of blind kids now, and they have borrowed my set of educational materials to provide private lessons in the living room of the home where the blind child, blind young boy, 14 years of age, uh, under the auspices of his parents sitting right there in the living room and where the teacher uh, showed him all of our 
materials like the, the 3D models and uh, showed him how intercourse works and penetration of, uh, you know, an erect penis in the vagina, how um, um, ejaculation works, how uh, you are to use a condom properly. All of that was done because the parents had no idea how to show him. He had all, he, this young man, young boy, had all kinds of questions for the parents, and it was to the parents' credit that they chose to ask his teacher to do this. She was going to do it in school, but the school administrators refused permission. Now, I know it's a sad situation here in the United States. No question about that. And if we hadn't been settled by those Puritans from uh, England, maybe things would be different. But <laughs> they're not. All right. So there seem to me to be two issues that are slightly separate, and I'm not sure if I can clearly articulate this thought, but I'll, I'll have a go at that. So on the one hand, you have the sex education that is, shall we say, a contentious matter for anyone, whether you're blind or sighted. So the parents of some sighted kids, of course, particularly if they have a strong religious persuasion, may strongly object to sex education being taught at all. But even that sighted person in that deeply religious household can still do what you were talking about earlier. They're still able to see images. Um, if, if they want to, they can go out on the net and they can see uh, what an erect penis looks like or, or whatever. Um, they can see all kinds of por pornography. Yes, I, yes, uh, they can. The right. The majority of American kids by the time they're 14, 15 years of age have seen pornography on their the screens of their uh, computers. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? That's the two separate issues. One is whether sex education is appropriate in schools or whether parents ought to be doing it, even though they, they usually don't. And then there's this question of what I would describe as access to information that uh, if, you, if you're going to do this safely and appropriately, then a blind person needs access to the information about just to satisfy general curiosity about what these things on the anatomy of, a, of the opposite sex looks like. Um, That's right. Otherwise, otherwise, that blind child may or blind young adult may seek to find out that information in an entirely inappropriate manner by overstepping yeah. some boundaries. The other thing I would raise here too is that, and, and you, you're probably aware of this because of all the work you've done on this, there are some congenital blindness conditions that actually sometimes come with erectile dysfunction. And that is related to the fact that certain conditions come with circulatory impediments that... Correct. That, that, yeah, right. So, so what I, where I'm going with this is that there, there are some blind people and I've discussed this with them, actually. There, there, there are some blind people who've grown all the way into adulthood who actually do not know that they have never achieved a full erection themselves because they've never been able to feel what an erect penis actually feels like. That's right. I, 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 I don't question you at all. I, I can imagine that happening. That's right. I don't have any personal experience of kids with that. The, the, but then I, uh, unfortunately, I don't get to talk to the kids directly in my situation because we have a major problem here in the United States with uh, older men 
doing extremely, extremely bad things sexually to kids, pedophiles. And one of the situations that I find myself in in talking about sex with kids, I have to be very careful. And I personally do not engage kids in direct conversation about sexual matters. I would have only my young female graduate assistants or young male graduate assistants do that because, um, you know, it's just, even though I know in no way would I ever, ever attempt to do things that are out of line with kids. There's no way I would ever do that. But I know how other people would see that. So as a consequence, I never talk to kids themselves about it. I have to do it through other people. And But I can imagine that your situation that you're talking about, uh, yes, uh, that doesn't uh, surprise me at all. Um, we've had uh, blind boys who, who uh, don't know where <clears throat> there's a, one of these pieces in the literature. Uh, uh, Emerson Folk did this years and years ago, probably four decades ago. There's a piece in the literature indicating that the blind boy that he had interviewed thought that a girl's vagina was under her left arm. Or in armpit. I, where he got that idea, or if that's even accurate, I don't know. But it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Incredible. But but does that actually up. matter? I mean, when the time comes, and just just playing devil's advocate for a minute here with you, when, when the time yeah. comes and that person marries, isn't it nice to discover those things together? I mean, it seems to have worked for centuries, <laughs> and the human race hasn't died out. Uh, correct, but the, but uh, the human race has been ninety nine percent sighted, haven't they? And uh, and I contend that blind people, I contend that we blind people should, we have the right to have as much information as sighted individuals. And when it comes to this sexuality and the cultural inhibitions against speaking about sex, and against uh, showing blind, blind people about sexual matters, I, I think the sighted public is trying to put blind people in a subservient um, position, uh, treated as lesser human beings, and we have every right in the world to know everything about sex that sighted people know. And right. just because we're blind doesn't mean that we shouldn't have. Now, we have difficulty learning this, if we don't have teachers, we don't have enlightened adults who are going to uh, show us, teach us um, properly about sexuality, um, that the other alternative is we're ignorant. And I, I, I think that's wrong. I, I absolutely think it's wrong. I, you can tell, Jonathan, I feel very passionate about this uh, topic. And um, it just pisses me off that blind kids are treated like this. And I'm here trying my damnedest to provide the teachers 
in the United States with the materials, the guidance, the, the instruction books, the manuals, everything to make it possible for them to provide appropriate, meaningful sexual education for blind youngsters. And it is really an uphill battle. It is really, I have to, I have to go against school districts, residential school uh, principals. Uh, I have tried to interview um, residential school um, uh, administrators here in the U.S. to find out what they do in sex education. They don't want to tell me. I, 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 I had my research has been very meager because I can't in that area because I can't get people to talk to me about it. Mm. I suppose and there is an element of ableism in the sense that a lot of sighted well, people may not perceive blind people as being sexual beings. That's possible. One of the other problems is we have so many. Uh, the, this is this, my impression is my assumption is that the school districts are uh, and, and residential schools are supported by tax dollars, and they're afraid that if it should get out, that they are providing this very explicit sex education for blind kids, and the Americans' tax dollars are supporting the use of what look like dildos. Uh, that, that you can have some really, really hardcore, ultra-right-wing people who will come after these uh, and make a very big, wide public issue of the misuse of tax dollars. Yeah, actually, I, I, I can hear the story on Fox News in my head now, to be fair. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can hear it roll out. Mm-hmm. Have you right. been able to measure the success of the 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 impact of this on the kids who have had access to these three dimensional models and who have received this kind of education that you believe is appropriate, have we got any way of measuring whether it's made a difference? No, we haven't. Uh, we have. There's no research to show that. And uh, once again, the big problem is that um, we we can get permission to do it. That has been a thorn in my side for years that I cannot get permission to talk to kids, to interview kids about. All we know is there's research to show, a few pieces to show that blind people who have been interviewed as adults, who have been interviewed by researchers, some colleagues of mine, asking about their satisfaction with regard to their sex education, whatever they have, wherever they went to school. And to a person, they are extremely dissatisfied. They learned almost nothing, almost no meaningful sex education. And there are two or three pieces of research to indicate that. And all the two or three pieces are are unanimous in in that opinion. Nobody liked their sex education. They all thought it was deficient in some fashion or another. And how does that harm, how does that lack of information sort of manifest itself? I mean, what are the, what are the consequences? You talked about the uh, the example the of the, the young girl who who became pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. Um, so so, but 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 in terms of normal healthy relationships, do, do we know that people just don't 
sort of sorted out over time? Maybe it takes them a little longer, but they sort it out over time. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know how many kids have, uh, for example, using unsafe uh, sex, uh, not being able to use a condom. I, I have no idea how many of them have contracted some kind of FBI, for example. And one of the points that I like to make in my uh, presentations is that those of us blind guys who uh, use condoms or have used condoms or should be using condoms, there is a special technique that I've developed to make sure that you put the condom on correctly. Now, sighted people can, uh, sighted guys can take a look at it and see how it should be rolled onto the penis. Uh, and uh, maybe my tactual sensitivity isn't up to up to the standards, but I cannot tell. I have a way of doing it by putting the condom between uh, the forefinger and thumb of each hand and pushing my thumbs into it. If it doesn't roll, then you turn it around, and then you're ready to go. You can put it on correctly. If you try to put it on and it doesn't slip down the shaft of the penis, Many guys will then turn it around and, uh, and slide it down. But what they've done is contaminated the outside of that condom. And if he had any kind of STI, he probably will transmit that to his partner, being either his male or female partner, because he's contaminated the outside of the condom. Many, many Blind guys don't know that. Is there the chance that a website might be set up that provided some of this information? Because that doesn't necessarily involve 3D models, does it? I mean, there could potentially be no, some no, resource for no. tips and tricks like that. That's correct. That's exactly right. That's a very good point. We we do have um, an American Print House for the Blind is, uh, to their credit, they have hired me and my partner here, my work partner, Stacy Kelly, and it's a female, Stacy Kelly, to do uh, a chapter on sex education uh, uh, methods and materials, which they're going to be including in a manual on health education. Note that it has to be hidden under the guise or in a, in quotes, health manual. You can't just say sex education. I know that researchers uh, that have tried to uh, in, uh, uh, in sociology or psychology or, or social psychology try uh, when they when they try to obtain um, these are university professors try to obtain research money in that area for the federal government they have it's common to hide in some fashion or another the true um, subject that's being pursued. That is, you don't broadcast it right across the front of the grant uh, application sexuality or anything like that. You have to couch it in terms that uh, a very close reading of it would indicate. People are just extremely sensitive about um, the sexuality in this country, and people do not want to be tagged with uh, some... Um, I guess, with uh, being uh, perverts or being uh, uh, sexually disordered individuals. They don't want to, so they just want to stay away from it. 
want to talk about. Yeah, now, how do you are, how do you manage that risk? Because you're obviously going out there, you're giving lectures on the subject, you're correct. talking to me, uh, and that's you correct. must get that kind of pushback from time to time. How do you personally I, deal I with that? I have it. I have it. I have had, uh, I, I, as I said earlier, we, yeah. 25, 30 years ago, I did. I would have people talk to me. Uh, now, we, I, I, this is what happens at conferences where we say do a presentation on sex education. The rooms are filled to capacity. The every chair is filled. Now that we used to get standing room only, people are extremely interested. There's no question about that. And only afterwards will I get um, people coming up to me and talking to me about. Uh, and I just had this recently that this gentleman had known about me uh, uh, for years and had wanted to meet me. And then he kind of laughs to himself and look at the circumstances under which I'm meeting you. And I, you know, I don't think it's exceptional circumstances at all. I'm a professor making report uh, on presentation at a conference. And, but he thought it was extremely unusual that he would meet me after my presentation on sex. Kind of like the and Dr. Ruth I, of the blind community. Uh, that's correct. Exactly. Terrific. <laughs> yeah. that's, uh, that's, uh, that's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you hope this will go in the future? Obviously, well, you, you, you're heartened by the increased willingness to discuss these matters. And, of course, 3D printing makes things more viable than ever. So it seems like you may be seeing a breakthrough after all of this advocacy. We're making slow, I hope, sure progress, a little bit at a time. Uh, it's a very long, slow slog, but I think we are making some progress. That's right. And, uh, and it's just my hope that if I put out the materials, make enough presentations, do enough training, um, do enough writing, uh, do enough preaching, that um, over time, uh, I'm an old guy. I'm not going to be at this for that much longer. And I, my female colleague, Stacy, is young. She's, uh, and so she'll be at it. But you need a guy, too, because I'm convinced that on all of these sex presentations, we should have a man and a woman do them. Because I, I've always, I have always recruited a female to uh, join me in these in this work because i can't talk about sex from a female's point of view and i am absolutely certain that females cannot talk about sex from a male's point of view so we need both and uh, we and stacy stacy i get along with stacy extremely well she is not bashful and she tells it like it is and um and uh, i'm very fortunate to have her with me if we have educators who are listening to this, who are interested in further information and additional resources, is there anything that we can point people to as we wrap up the interview? They can write to me, and I can just give you my – let me repeat my email address a couple of times. Uh, I'll repeat it slowly. It's uh, gcapperman at niu.edu. That is all lowercase G-K-A-P-P-E-R. M-A-N at N-I-U dot E-D-U. Send me an email. I'm more than willing to talk to anybody about the topic. Always looking for suggestions and recommendations. 
and and I'm one who I'm old enough to know that I don't know everything, and uh, and that that there are probably things out there that I have no idea that I don't know that I don't know. And as you mentioned, there are some books coming out that will further explore the subject. That that's right, and that will be the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky, and that will be coming out in next year, 2018. I don't know when it will be available, uh, but it'll be a manual uh, for teachers on health education. And in that manual is a uh, is a, an entire chapter. We uh, probably half the manual is devoted to sex education materials, and we've developed a lot of never before seen or done. Um, we have uh, techniques by which teachers can make their own 3D models and they actually work. And it, you can make them for $10, $15 if you want to spend uh, uh, the time going to the hardware store and buying the materials that we suggest and spending a little time putting them together. And, um, or we have other, you know, the medical models are always really outrageously expensive. They're 500 600 $700 a piece, you know, because it's medicine, medical. You know, so they can charge way more than mm. it really cost, should cost. But and I presume our, it will be possible soon to download the 3D printer files, won't it? And then just send uh, them to a 3D printer. Now, we do not know. We just started this um, 3D printer files with with an organization in, uh, in California. So I don't know where that's going to go, to be bluntly honest, because it's just started. I'm supposed to get the shipment this week, as a matter of fact, and we're go- we're going to be testing these with uh, some uh, volunteers, some teachers that we've vol- that have volunteered to uh, use them with their blind high school kids to see how well they work, and uh, then what the organization's going to do, how they're going to make them available, if they make them available, I don't know what their plans are, but we are slowly but surely. So we do have the 3D printer um, files. They do work, and they do produce some very realistic models. There's no question about that. Uh, it takes uh, a considerable amount of time on the with the 3D printers, the cheaper ones. Uh, I, I'm assuming that the high-end models will be able to produce it faster than the ones that the organization is using. Thanks to Galen Kapperman for coming on the podcast to talk about such a difficult subject. And I expect that there is a lot of variation from state to state in the United States. Here, sex education is not a big deal. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I believe that blind kids appear to be quite well served from what I've been able to ascertain doing a little bit of research. Even in the 1980s, when it was time for me to learn about these things, we got a book at school when I was... 12, I believe, and it was called Where Did I Come From? And (laughs) that was the first formal introduction that we got at school to sex education. And the reason why I bring it up is that it describes the correct terminology for various bits of anatomy, including the vagina. And it gave a bit of help about how to pronounce it because it said in brackets, it rhymes with North Carolina. Now, anyone who knows me well knows that I'm a major fan of Monopoly. So after reading that book way back in the 80s, 
landing on North Carolina Avenue has never been the same again. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.